was spent $46 million on sending the message out. And we're here for life. Every time we had a capital campaign, it was designed not only to exalt what we needed to do here, but there were dimensions of taking it out. And so my business administrator, Ben McKinney, he was with me for, how long, 20 years, long time. He said, every time we had a capital campaign, he said, they, we'd all sit down with the leadership and start discussing things, and he'd sit there quietly, and then he'd say, this whole thing has no pizzazz. <laughs> well, he was right. And so we'd go back to the drawing board until we could find some pizzazz. Had to find something that captured the spirit and the commitment of the people. And so We're Here for Life became the kind of overlay that allowed us to, to discover pizzazz every time we had a, a capital campaign. Okay. Um, now, let me, uh, I, I want to do this one, and then we, we can take a little break because this is, uh, I'll get to the actual program of the church in a minute, but this is critically important for you as a city church. Initiative. Being in the middle of downtown or being in a city like New York City and Manhattan in particular, we cannot do and be the church the way we've always done it. It just can't happen. We're not living in that kind of world. We've got to find new ways to do and to be the church. And in Orlando, that wound up being the creation of some rather startling and surprising partnerships. Now, let me use just one example to kind of make the point, and then I'll point to some others. Remember I said Orlando's right in the dead center of downtown. Immediately across the street one way is the Orange County Administration Building, the county building. The other way is the Orlando City Hall. So we wound up thinking, is there a way for the church, the city, and the county to work together? No, not in the society in which we live. Church-state separation, all that stuff, no. Well, we also had a major problem. We had no parking. The church was growing like crazy. We, we, we wound up renting parking lots away and then had shuttle buses bringing people in. It was hideously expensive, and it was okay on Sunday, but how do you do the ministry in the middle of downtown the rest of the week? We needed parking. So we thought, okay, where we had the gravel lot in the service station on the back part of the property, we're just going to have to build a parking garage there. Well, it was enormously expensive, number one. Number two, it would have hamstrung all of the creative stuff that we had on the drawing board are already in place. At that point, an amazing thing happened. A guy named Bill Owens was hired by the city of Orlando to examine the parking issues in downtown. He came to First Presbyterian, and he spent several days there. And at the end of that time, he went back to the city and he said, we, we got a problem here that I don't think you all are aware of. 
there's stuff going on at First Presbyterian that just blew my mind. And they've got a huge parking problem, which means we can't figure out what to do about that. They're probably going to have to move at some point. That was all he said. Not long thereafter, the county began to examine. They had a big piece of property on the other side of them, which was still across the street from the back part of our property. And they were thinking about having another structure there or maybe even a parking facility. Every city and county government has a formula that they use for businesses to determine the value that business will bring to the taxpayers of the city and the county. They've got a, it's, it's an incredibly complex formula that they apply and they work through all of these things. And then they'll come to a bottom line and they'll say, if this business locates here, this is going to be the impact and, and we need to have them here. Or they will say, this is going to be a detraction for us. We don't need to have that here. That is in every city and county. And it was in Orlando and Orange County. So we set up a task force with members of First Presbyterian, members of the city, members of the county, and they began to apply those same principles to the ministry of First Presbyterian Church. At that point in time, 165 different ministries engaged in all kinds of things. They applied the formula to each one of those, to everything that was happening there, and I'll shorten the process. There's a long, tough process. At the end of the time, we're all gathered together in a big conference room in the city hall. And Jim Hartman, who was the county administrator at the time, has this sheaf of papers in front of him that is the full report. He goes through all of that. And then he says, and I shall never forget this, he said, we cannot afford to have Orlando, First Presbyterian Orlando move out of downtown. We will never be able to replace what they're doing with ordinary taxes. Now, we're sitting on a city block. No taxes. You know what that does to city and county people. They said, we can't afford, our taxpayers can't afford for Orlando First Presbyterian to move out. We got to find a way to make this work. So here's the way it worked to begin with. We decided to develop a 900-car parking garage on the piece of property that belonged to Orange County, right across the backside of our property. It would be owned by all three entities equally, all put in the same amount of money. We recognized that there would be constitutional issues put together a legal team, filed a friendly suit in court, and the court ruled that the whole agreement and structure was constitutional. That is now legal precedent. Any city can use that. To, and I've visited in cities and done seminars in cities where that's now being utilized. Some funny things happened as a result of that. One thing is... They were sitting around talking about it and said, you know, the parking garages around here all look the same. They're big old concrete structures. They're ugly. And, and they said, we want 
this parking garage to look like First Presbyterian. First Presbyterian is a red brick church. Do you have any idea how many million red bricks it takes to build a parking garage? Second thing they did, they came to First Presbyterian and they got, Tricia was one of her caregivers, Gladys Hancock. She's 90 years old. She drove a Cadillac about as long as this room. Had, the floor was rusted out so you could see the street passing under you. When she sat behind the wheel, you couldn't even see her head. She was like this. And they made it their goal, working with the architects and engineers, we want that parking garage to be available for Gladys Hancock. So they took her and they began to design the thing. And it is the ultimate user-friendly parking garage. It's won architectural awards all over the place because they built the thing and engineered it so that a little old lady at First Presbyterian could handle it with her rusted-out Cadillac. And it, it's covered in red brick. It's got stone trimming. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. What can I say? And the city said, because we want the community to know the partnership between the church, the city, and the county, the city will stand the expense, the extra expense required for putting the red bricks in the parking garage. So that partnership is now so firmly entrenched that you can't get rid of it. No matter what, whether the administration at First Church changes or the city or county changes, still right there. And they still work in partnership. And we, we did it then in a variety of different ways, not just the parking garage, but we also, um, because of that, we developed a relationship and a partic full participation in what's called the Downtown Development Board. And that's the group that the city appoints to oversee the whole development of the downtown community. Well, there were, um, sometimes you have to make compromises in order to accomplish something bigger. It's not always easy for me to do, but sometimes you have to. This is a case in point. There was an ordinance in the city that you couldn't have alcohol served within a thousand feet of the church. Well, the Downtown Development Board, with our full participation, because we're partners in the deal, talked about, okay, let's see if there's not a way to draw some little distinctions so that, for example, if a high-end restaurant wants to come in and they're committed only to serving wine, is that something that we could pursue? Yes, provided, on the other hand, we outlaw nightclubs where there's hard liquor and drugs and other things. The Downtown Development Board said, sure, we can do that. And the city said, yes, we can do that. So the whole quality of life in downtown Orlando all around its center changed. So now, yeah, there are a lot of high-end restaurants and you can buy a glass of wine in there, but the nightclubs, the hard nightclubs, are out and they're not impacting. So the 
the campus of First Presbyterian remains a very safe place. We then went into partnership with one of the city entities called the Center for Drug-Free Living. And a lot of our people began to adopt these uh, individuals who are trying to get free of drugs. We then created in our gym, you all have a gym here? We created in our gym midnight basketball so that these, the people at the Center for Drug-Free Living had a recreational opportunity. We created a partnership with the Orange County Public Schools. They said to us, if we send to you kids who are right at the verge of being expelled and they've run out of opportunities, if we send them to you, will you take them on? And we said, yes, we'll take them on. So we have a huge after-school ministry where troubled kids are brought to the campus there. Our lay people are the volunteers. It's not it doesn't cost the church a bunch of money. Our lay people are there, tutoring, mentoring. They're engaged in tutoring and the basic academics. There's a, an enormous computer learning aspect to it. There's recreation in the gym. There are all kinds of activities. And listen to this. The Orange County Public School says, if you take a kid for a year and that kid goes through everything that you have proposed, Number one, at the end of that year, we will guarantee that young person promotion to the next grade and a re-entry into the mainstream. And during that year, you can provide biblical, spiritual instruction for those kids. That's what I'm talking about. The partnership opens up avenues you never dreamed. You would say, ah, it's not possible to do that. No, it is possible to do that. You've got to be creative, and you've got to be stubborn, and you've got to be determined. And you've got to say, who knows how long it's going to take us to do this, but we're going to do it. All right, so those are the initiative aspects of things. Let me give you just a couple of more examples. One of the things that um, young people in downtown Orlando they, they created at one point, because there are a lot of kids all over down there now that the place is kind of alive and safe. When we got there, when Trisha and I got there, it was any place you didn't want to be. Now it's quite different. And a lot of kids just down there in the city say, we can't have these kids just wandering around. Um, so we're going to have a curfew, which they then imposed. And the church said, okay, but those kids need a place to hang out. What if we create a nightclub at First Presbyterian? So we did. It's called Jammers. It goes into the church building off of Magnolia, so it, it doesn't look like they're going into the church. And they have bands, concerts, and no alcohol. And the kids fill the place up because they want to hang out. And the other elements, they just fell into if it's not there, they don't fall into it. And so the city, working in partnership with the church, funnels kids to jammers. The church puts on jammers, and all our youth staff and other volunteers run it. Um, Davies Owens, one of the guys on our staff, is the guy who conceived of the whole idea. And the rest of us all kind of piled in. And so the jammers nightclub became a focus for young people downtown. 
in addition to that, there are a lot of homeless people in Orlando. The weather in Orlando is kind of nice. And in the wintertime especially, there are a lot of homeless people. So the church has always had a significant ministry to the homeless. Um, for example, we ultimately came to the point where we actually had a 6 a.m. worship service on Sunday morning, purely and simply for homeless people. And our street minister was there to preach. And the, they filled the place up. And then they had breakfast after, and their other needs were met. Um, the wonderful thing was they, they, it became so much a part of their experience that they said, we need to be sure that after our worship service, we get this place clean. So they cleaned the whole sanctuary after their worship service, so it's spick and span for the other services that unfolded there later on. But that's not what my point. My point was Compassion Corner. We created on one corner of the church's property. Homeless people could come there. They, they, they found something to eat there. They found Bible study there. They found medical treatment. They found a whole variety of other things. But one of the things that became very important was we recognized that a significant problem for homeless people is their identity. They don't have any papers. They don't have any, they don't have any background. They don't have anything. And so our people, once again, our street guy, but working with um, the volunteers of the church, created a program. It's now a huge program in Orlando, and it's spread to other parts of the, of the city, I mean of the country, where they work and they've developed the systems to do it to give a homeless person an identity and to find out what, they need, what that person needs to get a car, to get certification, to get medical help, to get anything that they need to find out what their basic problems are. And the homeless people have a whole range of different problems that have led to where they are. And it's personally oriented. It's not a blanket program. Every person is treated as an individual person. You remember how Jesus treated everybody? One on one. Jesus met a person at the person's point of need. And it was different for everybody. But he met them one-on-one -on -one so that the homeless people are not just in a box and in a group. They're dealt with individually. Another aspect of our partnership with the city, um, we have a columbarium at, at First Church where people are buried. And our, one, one of our lay people learned that the city... When a homeless person dies, the city pays to have that person cremated and they toss the ashes to the wind. We said we can't have that. These are people. We're going to get an identity. We're going to know who they are. And when they die, we have a place in the columbarium where their ashes are interred and their name is on a plaque so that they are remembered. The city was spending a lot of money and the church picked it up and the city said, thank you. All right, so there, all I'm saying here is you, we can't just be and do the church the way we've always done it. We gotta find new ways to do and be the church. And you guys are in a prime spot to be able to do just that. 